101 is a slum term for the most basic knowledge in some subject. 101, like our podcast. This is Venezuela 101. Welcome to a new episode of Venezuela 101. Joining us today is Nelson Eduardo Bocaranda, also known as Nelson Jr., a renowned journalist, founder, and editor-in-chief of the Venezuelan news website Runrunes. Nelson is also a great friend, a communication and technology enthusiast. He's the founder and collaborator of several projects aligned to these areas, and that is why we would like to talk with him in this episode about the current situation of the traditional and digital media in Venezuela. To introduce the subject, I would like to mention that a few months ago, a special reporters from the Inter-American Human Rights System in the Organization of American States and the United Nations expressed their concern about the limitations on the exercise of freedom of expression in Venezuela. They highlighted in the official statement the harassment and persecution of dissident voices, particularly journalists, communicators, and all the independent media, as well as all the social leaders and human rights defenders. So, Nelson. First, we want to welcome you to Venezuela 101, and we would like to start this conversation by you telling us, in terms of freedom of expression, what are the media and the journalists currently facing inside of Venezuela? Hi, Pizarro, Melanio. It is an absolute pleasure to speak to both of you today. Before I start, I would like to thank you personally for taking the time to create this podcast. Even though we now have outlets in English in Venezuela, like Caracas Chronicles, uh, the language barrier has always been a challenge to let the international community in on what's happening in Venezuela. Regarding your question, Venezuelan outlets face a dire prognosis right now. First, the amount of companies investing in online advertising has decreased as much as 80% in the last four years. Then, independent online news outlets have to face uh, blockades or being blocked and investing in tech to bypass website blocking, as well as investing in servers and protection for those servers mirroring websites and other costs that take resources away from better compensating journalists. Preparing for this also takes a heavy, uh, heavy toll on time. Um, since we have to set time aside to secure funds and implement strategies that help us protect citizens' rights to access information online. Luckily, in the past, we've had help from organizations that take these matters seriously. But to be quite honest, it's never enough. Since Venezuela's government is always modernizing their technology to censor media in new and creative ways, such as rolling blockades, which is something new that we're looking into. Because now, right now, as of right now, our website is blocked by most in most of Venezuela, and we have had to redirect traffic through a series of bypasses. But this makes our site slow, and we have an audience flow that's falling through the cracks as we redirect them to sites that are not blocked. Then we have to talk about persecution and harassment. The government has perfected ways to pressure journalists as well as creating buffers between journalists and the subjects they want to investigate. For example, we have had trouble going into militarized areas where militias or the military do not want journalists to cover certain subjects. Subjects such as clashes with guerrilla groups or illegal gold mining, just to name a few. Now, reporting in our country has not always been threatened by the harassment and persecution that exists today. From what moment does this situation begin to go deeper? Is there a key point that marks a before and after? If so, which one it was? 
So the media landscape in Venezuela took a turn in 2007 when big media outlets were either seized by the government, such as the case of RCTV or RCTV, Venezuela's most important open TV channel. Uh, that case led to riots and uprising all over Venezuela. Then came another strategy, which was buying news outlets with the sale of Cadena Capriles, Venezuela's most read and most widely distributed newspaper. They did the same with El Universal, which was also sold to the government. El Universal is the second largest print, was the second largest print outlet in Venezuela. And some after, uh, sometime after that, they also bought Globovisión. Globovisión was Venezuela's only 24-hour news network and was what kept most of the Venezuelans in touch with a reality or the reality of what was happening in the country. Uh, there's also censorship and self-censorship in, in the few media outlets out there since there is a real and imminent threat on media and journalists by government security forces. At the same time this was happening, there was a surge in harassment and persecution, which although it has never stopped, it has certainly slowed down right now, uh, but the ripples that this persecution and harassment to journalists create reaches far beyond Venezuela as journalists have a very close-knit community of peers internationally that raise red flags whenever one is attacked. But if I could point a milestone that sets a before and after picture, it might be 2002, when during a coup d'etat, Venezuelan TV channels refused to only transmit a presidential address uh, and divided their screens in halves. On one half, they transmitted the address and on the other half, protests that were being transmitted live. That started a constant fight, a power struggle between the government and the media. If that paints a clear picture in the power struggle between media and government, it wasn't until 2007 that we could say that this all became a matter of national security and a strategic policy for Venezuela's ruling regime. Since 2007 onwards, they started seizing, buying, or closing outlets which became a unique and effective way to minimize dissent at whatever cost. Restrictions to their freedom of expression began with the traditional media. And in fact, we are still seeing constant shutdowns of radio stations by regime order today. The majority of the media, because of this reality, is now digital in Venezuela. Now that we have the opportunity to have you in this podcast, being the editor-in-chief of a news portal as far-reaching as Runrunes, I would like to ask you how the censorship has also affected the digital media and what has been the scope of this kind of censorship. Because this has been reported, for example, that there's blockades against the websites, there's attacks on cybersecurity, there are attacks against the connectivity, and even attacks on the people who write in the social networks. Runrunes has been online for the better part of 12 years, and in this time, we have seen the government's tactics and strategies shift and evolve over time. For instance, our first attack was a denial of service or a DOS attack, DDoS attack, um, brought on by flooding. So to translate that, imagine a website being a building and people accessing information, cars going into that building. Flooding is when a computer creates millions of cars going to that building and there's only a one-way street reaching in and out of that building. So the first attacks were doled out from 
traditional places such as Russia, India, and even non-traditional places like Malta. Then came attacks in the form of Man in the Middle, where they kidnap control over a website and insert themselves between the audience and the information, creating either misinformation or just showing outdated snapshots of, the, of a website. We also have evidence of phishing from government security forces trying to get sensitive information from our journalists and journalists from other media. Uh, we also have confessions on live TV of strategies used to dox journalists on state media dating as far back as 2013. And if you don't know, doxing is when someone's personal information such as banking, home address, telephone numbers or others are exposed with the intent on someone using that information to hurt or damage a possible target. We've also had people from security forces impersonating journalists to get copies of their SIM cards in order to get SMS verification and create cell phone mirrors to collect personal data in a country where Movistar Telefónica, the biggest private held company that um, doles out service to cellular service for Venezuelans has admitted that around 20% of their clients are constantly spied by state security and intelligence. And with these examples, I'm only beginning to scratch the surface of what we've had to battle against in our constant struggle to keep as many Venezuelans as informed as possible. But recently, the government has centered its offensive strategy against media in blocking websites and is now perfectioning something that we've begun to call rolling block, uh, rolling blocks, which is when they turn on a blockade from a certain state or city inside Venezuela for a couple of days, in some cases hours, and then it moves that blockade to another area or city. This makes the website blocks harder to, to identify and it even disguises them in some cases as power outages since Venezuela is currently under power outages in um, in its main cities, not its primary city, Caracas, but regional cities. This is possible since most internet traffic in Venezuela goes through a single state-owned internet service provider. And since smaller providers depend on government permits, they also serve blocks as instructed by government-controlled censorship entities such as Conatelli. Nelson, la Ley del Odio or Anti-Hate Speech Law passed in 2017 by the Nicolás Maduro regime. This also marked a turning point in how journalists do their work inside the country. Now any person, regardless of rank, responsibility, and occupation, can be persecuted for up to 20 years in prison for publishing content that can be considered intolerant. In addition to that, the law covers a huge legal gray area. What has been the consequence of the approval of this law? How do you get around or circumvent so many obstacles? Do you consider that there are cases in which this has led to self-censorship? Yes, the law against hate, or la, or la Ley del Odio, also marks a keystone in the fight against freedom of the press. Under this law, media outlets are not only liable for charges that can jail journalists and media owners for up to 20 years, which is something unheard of in Venezuela, where defamation charges were the heaviest crimes against journalists and media, and those were tried by civil courts, not by penal judges. 
So yes, this law has served an even worse purpose, which is exacerbating censorship in all of its forms. Be that self-censorship in journalists or censorship in media from its directors or even censorship in the form that sources. Sources are now more afraid than ever to hand over information to a journalist for them to investigate or to uncover uh, facts about corruption, uh, crimes against humanity, um, or others. This obviously has led some journalists to flee the country, accompanied by lawsuits brought against them by members of the ruling government elites. It has also made work um, a lot harder in Venezuela, and it has also made other journalists work under pseudonyms. Uh, but yes, of course, all of this contributes heavily on self-censorship. I understand what you're saying, and I would like to end by asking you, what do you think is the outlook for the journalism in the country if no action is taken? And if you consider that it's possible to exert pressure, both from citizens and from the international community, to try to reverse what has happened until now, and what do you think are these kind of actions? How do you believe this can be feasible? Great question, and I would love to have a straight answer for the first part of that question regarding the outlook. I believe the outlook is not great. As the economy took a toll, so did the amount of advertisers. And even though we are seeing signs of a small growth in some economic bubbles, we're not seeing that growth trickle down to media outlets since mass consumer products and their marketing is not one of the areas we're seeing grow. So the, the economic outlook is grim for media in Venezuela. Um, I believe we're going to have to see a shift in the ways media outlets raise funds, either setting up higher paywalls or setting up payment-centric products, which completely goes against the principle of keeping the largest audience possible, as informed as possible. So we will have to see some things shift in what I can expect would be a short period of time. I am a strong believer of freedom and democracy, and although I don't have a way to predict the future, I do believe that citizens and the international community hold the key to unlocking some freedoms in Venezuela. We need to hold international companies that have armed um, the government and in turn have harmed freedom of speech by blocking citizens' access to websites Uh, we have to hold them accountable wherever they are from, be them from Spain, like Telefónica, eh, or from other places. That could or might be the start of us seeing a change in how many informed citizens there are out there. Um, we need to understand also that media serves the people and keeps checks and balances on the powerful. We need to understand that a free media functions as a watchdog that can investigate and report on government wrongdoing. And here in Venezuela specifically on human rights abuses, on corruption, on violence and others, we need to, to believe and know that having a free media rich country helps us build the cornerstones that provide support and protection of democracy and democratic values. Having informed citizens makes people make decisions under their own will with the most information possible so that those decisions can benefit themselves individually, their families and their communities 
hopefully for the better. Um, I truly hold that. Sorry, I I hold that to be true and have held onto that belief through the harshest of moments when freedom of press or even a clear picture on the future or of our outlet couldn't be devised. So I hold those words to be true, that a free media functions as a watchdog that can investigate and report on government wrongdoing, on human rights abuses, on corruption, on violence, and other subjects that are at the heart of the things that should change in Venezuela in order to restore democratic values and transparency uh, regarding the way the country is being handled right now. Excuse me, Nelson, but I would like to ask you one more question, and this will really be the last one. But I think it may be important for those who are listening. Obviously, you're a journalist and an editor-in-chief, and we have focused this interview on that side of the story. But I would also like to know your perspective on the citizen's point of view, the consumer. Everything we have discussed led us to the conclusion that the regime has tried to achieve with all this action is the monopoly of information, right? Now, what are the options for the Venezuelans to find out about what is happening in the country? Are there any guarantees for the population not to be a victim of misinformation and manipulation? I'm glad to say that we're still serving millions of Venezuelans in Venezuela and abroad each year delivering them news on a daily basis. And we have found new and creative ways to reach new audiences. And I'm not only speaking about runrunes, I'm speaking about the whole media landscape. And what fills me with hope is that we've helped each other out in times of need. And instead of behaving like competitors, we have behaved like equals, setting our differences aside as we share information on attacks, on blocks to websites, on effective recipes for bypassing those blocks. So we're all in this together. Venezuelans have also understood the need to bypass blocks with the use of VPNs. They've gone to unusual platforms to get information delivered directly from their trusted sources. And something that's important to, to realize is that Venezuelans led the way in making Twitter mainstream in 2007. And today they're also doing something similar with Telegram and some other news outlets out there or platforms. Inside Venezuela, citizens are going back to basics and having headlines read while commuting to their jobs by El Bus TV, which is people narrating the news in actual buses as they go along their routes. And even though it is an uphill battle, the Venezuelan media landscape is rich with examples on ways outlets have banded together in order to fight misinformation, disinformation, and fake news. There you have sites like Casadores de Fake News, training journalists, or Espaja, bringing down fakes all the time, but there are no guarantees on this being effective in the long run. Uh, Venezuela is one of the top five hubs for fake news and disinformation campaigns in the world, and even though Our citizens are not as gullible as most in other places. There has to be a constant effort in educating media consumers on how to spot fakes, review, and verify the information they receive. Thank you, Nelson, for your answers today and for giving us an overview of what is currently happening in Venezuela regarding to free speech. 
It doesn't matter if you are inside or outside the country. Censorship, persecution, and harassment of the media and journalists, as well as activists, human rights defenders, and political leaders, and many others, are clearly on the rise. The regime has created a wall that seeks to control and punish the opinion of anyone who dissents with it, and without a doubt, it is the citizens who suffers the consequence. In my opinion, it is extremely important to highlight the work that the media have done and the incredible effort the journalists make on a daily basis to keep the population informed. Despite all the threats, despite the reprisals and the harassment that many of them have experienced, their vocation and their conviction drive them to continue exercising and providing citizens with truthful and impartial information. On behalf of Melanio and myself, I want to thank you. I want you to receive all of our appreciation. And the same to you, Nelson. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to having you on our podcast again in the future. It has been a great honor to have you on this show. Miguel, Melanio, the pleasure has been mine. Um, I know for a fact what each of you has gone through and the constant struggle that fighting for freedom and democracy has been. You know for a fact that Mi Casa Su Casa regarding Runrunes, and I know both of you and your families and know the values you hold on to in times this struggle has taken an emotional toll. So I would like to take the time and thank you both for your sacrifices. It's been an immense pleasure to speak with you today on this podcast. And with this, we arrive to the end of today's podcast. Thanks to all of you who are listening to this new episode. This was a new episode of Venezuela 101. If you like this podcast, share it. Spread the word with your colleagues, family, and friends. Follow us on our social media at Miguel underscore Pizarro at Melanivar. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a comment. Please tune in again in two weeks with new guests on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, and YouTube.